Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. We're with Michael Newton Keys. We will take calls with Michael next hour. His book is called Unbelievable Seven Myths About the History and Future of Science and Religion. And Michael, let's go through those seven myths if we can, one by one, and I shall let you begin. Okay. So the first myth we covered already, which was that uh, a big universe is a problem for Christianity. It's not. Uh, the second myth is uh, there were these dark ages during the medieval period when Christianity held back cultural progress. It didn't. <laughs> Christians invented the university, <laughs> which has been the, the primary home for teaching and doing research in science. The third myth, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, is kind of a subset of the second one. It's, it's, it's the idea that people uh, in the Middle Ages in Europe thought the earth was flat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was because of Christianity that they thought this, because, you know, the Bible teaches that, supposedly. The Bible does, actually doesn't take, take any view on the shape of the earth. It only describes the, the world as it, as it appears to the senses. But there, and furthermore, um, after teaching astronomy for a quarter century, I found that when students first come into my class, they have fewer rational grounds for believing in a round earth than most medieval students. Huh. Most students today believe it because they see in a picture. Well, that could be Photoshop. Now, I'm not into conspiracy theories uh-huh. about that, but, but students should know that, you know, like, for example, medieval students knew that if you look up at the moon during a lunar eclipse, you see the shadow of the earth going across it, and the edge of that shadow is curved. It's curved. And they could rattle off about a half dozen of these arguments, and modern students usually can't. <laughs> so those are the first three myths. In, well, and when you look at the moon, it's round. You look at the sun, it's round. You look at everything out there, they're all round. I mean, one would have to deduce that Earth was round. Yeah, that's an argument from analogy, and it has some power. But, uh, yeah, medieval students could give you evidence, you know, observations that, that are best interpreted as a round Earth. So that's the third myth. The fourth myth was about Bruno, which we covered. The fifth myth is about Galileo, which we've covered. The sixth myth we haven't talked about, and it's really important. The sixth myth I call the Copernican demotion myth. Ooh. Now, that's the idea that when Copernicus came up with his theory with some pretty good arguments that Earth moves around the sun and, is not in the, and the Earth is not in the center of the universe, but the sun is, um, well, that was supposedly uh, an, uh, an action uh, that demoted humans from the privileged center, and therefore discredited religious views of human importance where, you know, we're in the center of God's plan. Well, it turns out that even though a lot of new atheists like Christopher Hitchens, uh, when he was with us, and others have, have trotted this out as, you know, Christianity's greatest failure, when you look at the real history, it turns out that, that at the time of Copernicus, this, uh, going because of the views of Aristotle and Plato and throughout the Middle Ages, people at the time of Copernicus still thought of the center of the universe as the bottom of the universe, not the place of honor, but the place of dishonor. And so when Earth was uh, repositioned as a planet, as moving around the sun, that was framed as a promotion by folks like Galileo and Johannes Kepler, the astronomers that came just after Copernicus, who were arguing for Copernicus' view. So, So this... Uh, this idea that, well, Copernicus demoted humanity and undermined religion it just doesn't fit the history. For example, Copernicus himself said the cosmos was created for our sake. Now that even overstates what, the, what Christianity specifies, sure. but, you know, but it's clearly he wasn't demoting humanity. 
And, of course, the seventh. Oh, the seventh myth. Okay, right. We have short on time here. Let's, you know, the, the, these, the sixth myth kind of is a setup for the seventh one. Because if, if you believe the sixth myth that, well, humans were demoted, we're not important, and, oh, all that other religious stuff that we talked about earlier, if, if it looks anti-science, then that leaves a significance gap, and people want dearly to fill it with something. And so uh, in recent years, um, many leading astronomers and philosophers have been filling that significance void, which is only a perceived void, you know, left by these myths that really aren't true after all. But if you think they're true, then you're searching for some substitute uh, for our significance. And that, uh, the leading one right now, is what I call the extraterrestrial enlightenment myth. Now, this myth is not, well, aliens exist. No, that's a myth. No, this myth is about what, what would the significance be if there were to be contact, if aliens were to arrive on the mm-hmm. planet. And uh, here's what the myth says. And, I, and here I use the myth in the, in the sense of a worldview-shaping story, in this case a futuristic myth, uh, and it goes like this. Any ET, any alien that arrives on the planet Earth would have to have technology indistinguishable from magic and would also, due to billions of years of evolution prior to us, would have highly evolved moral spiritual insights that would trigger religious reorientation on our planet. And uh, a lot of this myth is, uh, this expectation is built on what we think, or what some people think that artificial intelligence can do, that we can bring about, you know, conscious computers that will be uh, doing things indistinguishable from magic. But leading AI experts like Rodney Brooks, who's at MIT, says, um, in fact, I quote him here, he says that, and if it becomes, if, if this AI, you know, projected in the future becomes indistinguishable from magic, anything one says about it is no longer falsifiable, that is, no longer testable in a rigorous way, and leads to kind of a blind faith as you imaginatively think about the future which is great for sci-fi, but not so great when you're thinking about, you know, what, what should we expect. And here's, here's the real kicker. Richard Dawkins has said, and I quote him, there are very probably alien civilizations that are superhuman to the point of being godlike in ways that exceed anything a theologian could possibly imagine. This is Richard Dawkins yeah. talking, yeah. Earth's leading atheist, right? <laughs> and, he's, and, and what's ironic about that is that some of this story sounds scientific, but if you want, I can explain why it isn't. Yeah, please. Okay. We've got some here's time. My, here's my critique of this story. Okay, and I, and I follow uh, uh, part, partly the work of Rodney Brooks, MIT AI, one of the founding fathers of AI. Again, he says that it's, when, once you extrapolate imaginatively into the future and you start talking about technology that's like magic, there's really no way to test that. I mean, the, a, he thinks that AI can do a lot of great things, but it's never going to become conscious and super powerful and, you know, to the point of being magical or, or, or equivalent to magic. But let's just imagine for, for a moment that there is... Um, that, that there is an event on Earth that seems like, okay, some conscious, superintelligent creature has just arrived on the planet and has magical powers. Well, what's, what's weird about this is that atheists like Dawkins would have no way of helping undecided people to distinguish between the natural and the supernatural interpretation of 
the creature. Because according to Dawkins and many other atheists, the, an alien, a natural explanation that is an alien, it would look identical to a supernatural creature, like some whatever, whether a good or a bad spiritual creature arriving on the planet claiming that they're going to save us and, you know, from Holocaust and bring peace and, you know, revise religion, etc. And so I don't think that this view is very scientific because it, it's more based on inspiration from science fiction than science. Because, you know, as I mentioned, I, I followed a Harvard astronomer named Howard Smith. Mm-hmm. I quote him in my book. And he, he shows that, look, technology can become sophisticated, but technology never can overcome the laws of nature. And the speed of light is one of those. For the absolute fastest you can communicate or travel, and even travel, you know, as you approach the speed of light, a lot of weird things happen and make it kind of impractical. So this E.T. salvation story sounds scientific, but isn't, because technology can't overcome natural laws, and, there's, and the whole story makes the ability to distinguish between the natural and the supernatural virtually impossible. That sounds like a faith position of Dawkins, not a scientific one. So that's why I'm very skeptical of this E.T. Enlightenment myth. And, and Michael, why do so many people think that uh, E.T.'s at a higher level are more moralistic uh, than what we should be? How do we know they don't get worse, not better? <laughs> exactly. In fact, you know, when Darwin published his book in 1871 about the evolution of of humanity and morality. This is long after his original book on the origin of species. Uh, you know, he he wanted to believe that that being nice to each other, what we call altruism, is is the highest evolved trait. But look, if if there is no God and if things, if morality evolves uh, randomly with uh, you know along the lines of natural laws, then you know there is no really good and evil. It's just stuff happens and and creatures from outer space that have been around for a billion years, they might be real badasses and, and want to, you know, not want to help us, but might want to destroy us. Exactly. And obviously, this is all played out in science fiction, and there's no way to, from an atheistic perspective, to know what kind of, you know, if these creatures would really be morally superior and spiritually superior to us. Well, they probably know that, you know, the longer a civilization lasts, the more resources they're going to use up. And, they, you know, one of the things they probably say is, you know, they don't get better, they get worse. We're going to take what we need now. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, yeah. Again, a lot of this is imaginative thinking about the future. And, but again, I, I, I'm a skeptic of the E.T. Enlightenment myth because, again, the, the point here is not whether E.T. exists or not, is whether, is whether E.T. is our savior or not. That's the myth that I'm going after. This is uh, pretty remarkable in that it's realistic, and it's very probable, isn't it? Well, uh, I think that, the, as I mentioned earlier, the, the likelihood of, of aliens existing is, is pretty low, and the likelihood of aliens living with, within contact distance of us, I think, is extremely low. So that makes, so if there is, an, quote, an appearance event or something that looks like an alien appearance, you know, I think people ought to be open to both naturalistic and supernatural interpretations of that event. Is it an, is it an alien or is it not? Is it some kind of supernatural mm-hmm. creature? An open-minded person should be open to both of those possibilities. Oh, sure. Absolutely. There's no question. We've talked about dimensional, other universes. Who knows? 
They're right. all, they're all possible. When Dawkins, of course, says he's a you know atheist, right? So he obviously doesn't believe in spiritual beings. But what's what's ironic is latter day atheism is becoming harder and harder to distinguish from the occult. And a lot of these UFO uh, stories sound very demonic. And so atheists have no way of really helping people who are like undecided about whether this is spiritual or whether this is natural. Do you have to have much of a scientific background in order to grasp this? No. And uh, my book, you know, after teaching non-science majors science for a quarter century, my book is very accessible to the ordinary guy. And, and I get into the cool stuff like the history of science fiction, how science fiction affects the, how we even evaluate theories like this E.T. Enlightenment story. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.